Hey guys, Momofuku Goods. That is our company that makes the instant noodles that are air dried, the salts, the spices, the chili crunch, all of your pantry essentials. We have a great offer. We have 10% off on the promo code DOMO10. And if you go shop at shop.momofuku.com, you can get the entire array of the Momofuku products. Not available at all the grocery stores, and we're available nationwide, and that list of grocery stores is growing. And if we're not there, we will be there soon. But shop.momofuku.com is still an amazing place because you don't even have to go outside. It'll be delivered straight to your door. And here's the thing. You can stack the bundles of discounts, right? There are a handful of bundles on shop.momofuku.com where you can pick up some great savings on Momofuku goods. The bundles include our new noodle flavors, spicy, chili, and sweet and spicy. And you can get an extra 10% off with Domo 10, the discount stack, so you can save money with the bundle and get the 10% off too. So, you know, I think it's a good stocking stuffer. I think it's a good holiday present. And it's also good for your kids to eat. Very, very, uh, very useful, I would say, for kids. If you have little kids that are picky about what they eat, uh, they're going to love this. Um, yeah, check it out. Thank you again for all the support. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. Chris Ying isn't here. He was just here. He's in transit. He's back in L.A. I'm here for a couple more days. Uh, I've been in Vegas quite a bit uh, this year uh, and will continue to do so because of all the things that are happening. We just missed the NBA in-season tournament, and uh, Vegas was thumping for that, but I filmed something that by the time this airs, you will have watched. It was uh, a primer about how to approach a buffet. And we filmed it with the, the, the big time comedian, Bert Kreishner. And he's such a lovely fellow. He really is. You know, he, he changed a lot of plans to make it happen, to, to fly into Las Vegas and to film with us this morning. And I got to say, what a sweetheart, but also, um, great eater. He can eat on my team anytime. Problem is this. We filmed it for Amazon because we're here for Thursday night football. Um, and if you missed it, you can check it out on Amazon prime. I'm still so full and I never drink. Uh, daytime drinking is not a thing for me. I never even liked it when I drank. I never really daytime drank. I never understood hair of the dog. I never wanted to drink Bloody Marys in the morning or mimosas. I just, that wasn't my bag. There were other things I wanted to do in the morning if I was hungover, but I'm definitely not drinking more. That's just not for me. So I was thinking, man, it's got to be almost, I don't know how long, decade plus, maybe even 20 years when I've had, I've, I think I've had a maybe a beverage of two, you know, before noon, but maybe that's like a champagne toast or something like that. I had maybe five to seven giant cocktails of things. I don't even know. I'm hungover right now. Yeah, I'm pretty hungover. I had a mimosa. I had a Bloody Mary. I had this uh, pineapple, Sichuan peppercorn cocktail. I also had a Saint glass of sangria. I had uh, another like hurricane-like thing. I feel pretty bad. I feel pretty bad, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're with Bert, so we, we had to do it. And uh, a lot of eating. A lot of eating happened. And uh, we were at the Cosmopolitan Wicked Spoon. We filmed there. And I have all the rules. I won't go into all of them. But if you've been listening to this podcast, you know, maybe you're familiar with some of them. There's a long list of rules that Ying and I wrote out, 13 rules. But the core ones are this. Number one, this is the real goal. When you're eating at a buffet and you're with your friends, your main goal is this. Not just eating delicious things, not just you know, filling your stomach because you no longer have money in your bank account and you're trying to fill this hole in your life because, you know, you just can't win at the tables. Maybe I'm projecting. You have all, everyone there has access to the same amount of foods. 
at the buffet. Everybody, your goal is this. When you come sit down at your table and you all reconvene like fellowship of the rings, you are like, hey, this is what I did. This look at my plate. Everyone has to be jealous of how you constructed your plate. That's sort of the goal of going to a buffet. It's not just eating. You want to sort of flex to everyone around you that you're the best buffet decision maker there. And more importantly, it doesn't, it's not overflowing with food. So like one of the most important rules, you have to eat everything on your plate. You know, you can leave some things here or there, but for the most part, you got to eat everything on your plate. I think overflowing your plate and where it's piled high is a terrible move because things get muddled. You're, you're basically, it's like a pile of laundry. It may look cool, but it's very amateur. And to me, it's all about building your plate horizontally and having a sidecar. I always try to get the smaller sidecar plate and I put the seafood or whatever it may be. I never do the sweet and salty together. And it's also imperative that I, I get a bowl. I always try to find a bowl and I put it on the plate. So the bowl is changing the perception of what's on the plate as well. It breaks it up. So it makes it look smaller than it actually is. The other rule of buffet club, this is really it. It's buffet club. It's not fight club. It's buffet club. If you want to be a member of buffet club, you have to eat more food standing in line than actually sitting down. All right. I was really proud of Bert today because he ate a chicken wing and he put it in his pocket, the, wing, the, the bones and all into his pocket. And I said, this guy's got potential. I, I was very proud of him. Uh, I would have avoided that. I would have tried to have found a chicken tender or chicken nugget. But bones in your pocket is one thing. That, that's, that's clearly a move you can do. The other, the, pretty the last one is you want to do, you want to make nice with all the staff, especially the carving station people. You want to get the, the, the end piece on the prime rib. I actually had the Spinalis Dorsey today, the cap, uh, because I was nice to the, yeah. Well, maybe because there was a camera behind me as well, but I never had that before at a buffet and it was tremendous. You want to go meats first, right? You want to load up on your meats. You want to avoid eating any starch. You want to avoid the mac and cheese. You want to avoid the lo mein. You want to avoid the rice. You want to avoid the grits. You want to avoid anything that looks tantalizing and delicious because it's going to ruin your game plan. You want to, at most, taste some of that at the very end right? You want that to almost be the cement in your stomach, right? It just seals everything in and below the starch is all the beautiful meats that are now, you know, in your gullet. So that was really it. And uh, I got to say, we filmed this maybe uh, 12 hours ago, 10 hours ago, and I still feel terrible. Still feel terrible. But that's, that's Buffet Club for you guys. And uh, we're going to talk more about buffets in a second. When we talk a little bit about year-end reviews. So we're going to just talk about three things and a year-end review. And then we're going to end with 2023 food trends and some predictions. All right. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new pure leaf blackberry iced tea that we have here at the Spotify studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new pure leaf blackberry iced tea. Visit amazon.com slash pure leaf and enter 20 pure leaf. That's 20 pure leaf for 20% off your purchase of new pure leaf 
blackberry iced tea. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. All right, guys. Here are the three things that I love about Las Vegas that have nothing to do with gambling. Number one, it is Christmas season. Shopping. Shopping is not something that I would say lightly. But what I like about it is everything is here. And there are multiple stores within, you know, the strip. There's... A Nike store, there's every, I don't even know if there's an app. I think the only thing not here is maybe an Apple store, but shopping is amazing, right? It really, truly is amazing. I think that, um, I don't know, but it feels like a lot of people come here for shopping. I've never shopped before until recently. And I'm like, oh my God, every store is here. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly slow to this realization, but I would say if you are into retail therapy, Las Vegas has got it. It really does. I was, I was shocked. I, I did a little bit of that today and I got some Christmas shopping done. I just, I don't know. Uh, I, should I tell everybody what I bought? No, 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 no. I, I'll leave that a secret. I'll leave that a secret. The other thing that, this, it's a rarity. It's a rarity to be able to, have an experience that is worthy of the hype. And I haven't even gone there yet, but I see it everywhere. And it's the goddamn sphere. And it may be James Dolan's greatest legacy from being one of the worst owners in the NBA history. Actually, he's a pretty decent ice hockey owner. Many of my friends have gone there. I have not met one person that has said the sphere is not a monumental moment in their lives. Everyone, when I say everyone, everyone and it's a lot of people that I know has said that it is one of the best entertainment experiences of their lives. I think that is pretty high praise. And I, what I love about this, what I do think about the sphere, why I think people should check it out besides the visuals. I want to know the genesis of that idea. We're going to build a multi-billion dollar sphere that's going to have state-of-the-art, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's pretty remarkable when you start to think about the construction of it, uh, what it does. It's, it literally changed the landscape of the Las Vegas Strip. So if you get a chance, I know YouTube's played there. I have no idea what's going there, but people are going there every night. It, it fits like 19,000 people. I think the sphere is uh, worthy of it. And I'm telling you this almost in a hypocriti- hypocritical way. I haven't even gone there yet, right? Mainly because I don't want to go by myself. <laughs> uh, but I will, I will go there soon enough. I am debating, actually. One of my friends who's a big fish head is going. Uh, uh, I think they're playing. I can't remember what date. And I just don't know if um, that's going to be the opportunity to go to the sphere. Um, and the last thing I will say that has that Las Vegas has over anyone else. Again, the food is clearly number one. The gambling is a whole nother thing. And, and, and yes, they, there's a, almost everything you want is here. Shopping, the sphere. I gotta tell you guys, I think the spas here are fantastic. They're really great. Um, I love massages. They're great. I don't get them nearly as much as I like, but when I do, I try to save up for that experience when I'm here in Las Vegas. They almost they almost never let me down, and there's something about if you're here with your friends, a bachelor party, bachelorette party, convention, and you have a day where you know it's, there's a lot of free time, and let's just say you may be a little hungover, and you have. From, say, 10 in the morning till 6 in the evening to get your shit together before the night begins. I know I have this conversation with my friends all the time. I always try to get people in the spa to enjoy the spa to realize that it's not just like 
a frivolous waste of money. You can hot tub, you can cold tub, you can sauna, you can steam, you can eat snacks, and you can slowly make yourself feel better. I can't say that all the spas are the same. There's a wonderful spa here at the Cosmopolitan. I love it very much. And I don't think people talk about it enough. I don't think people talk about it enough. And sometimes when you're gambling, you wonder, why am I not just getting a massage? Because it would be infinitely cheaper than what I'm doing right now. Those are, those are my three things about Las Vegas. You know, has compiled a year-end awards for 2023. What do we got here? All right, Dave. So I'm going to read off the nominees and what you can do. Just uh, let me know who your win- winner is, and then you can kind of explain the pick. But uh, let's start with your favorite single bite of food you had this year. All right. So I have here the nominees, Ortolans, the slice of pizza at tomato pie after you starve for three days, Wu's wonton king, the wonton mien, beef po' boy in New Orleans, uh, in New Orleans with the TNF king, pambazo at tacos de barbacoa estilo, estilo Hidalgo, uh, rock shrimp tempura at Nobu. I don't know why that's in here. Or something else. Rakshat tempura always is delicious. They're all good. I, again, recently I have to say what, what satiated me in ways that all these delicious things didn't was that pizza from tomato pie. 72 hours of not eating. I wanted to see how far I could go. And this is how hungry I was. I was on my way home from work in downtown Los Angeles, headed home. Grace calls me and said, hey, we're cooking dinner. I said, fantastic. I'm about 10 minutes away, but I literally drive out of my way to make, I don't know what came over me, but I was like, I need pizza. I need pizza. So I, I changed the coordinates on the GPS and I went to uh, a pizza shop and I got two slices of pizza. And when I, I was so hungry that I was in my head wanting to literally murder the people in front of me because they were taking so long. I was like, make up your fucking minds. I was so hungry that when they reheated the slice, I said, you don't have to make it that hot. Just give it to me right now. I was so hungry that I didn't even make it to my car to eat. I just consumed it right there standing up outside. And it was, it was joyous. In fact, thinking about how much that pizza made me happy is actually making me hungry right now. It has helped me digest the, the Burt Buffet Club uh, filming we did today. So when I think about, these are all great, great uh, nominees, you know, Ortolans I had for the first time. And I, I'm not going to say they're the, the best. Not, definitely not. Who's Wonton King? I, I'm also gonna, not going to say that's the best. Po' Boy, again, Delicious. I won't say that's the best. Although the best thing I had in New Orleans was, um, God, what is the name of the dish we had at Galatoire's that was uh, um, artichoke carts, lump crab meat, and hollandaise sauce. Oh my God. I've never had that combination and it was glorious. Um, I have to say the most affordable, best thing I had to eat was my introduction to the Mexican pambaso sandwich, which was uh, chorizo, avocado, crema, um, beans, and they dunk it in uh, the oil. I had to stop eating them because we would eat them at 1 p.m. and it would ruin my day. Not ruin my day because they're not good. It would ruin my day because I couldn't stop eating just one. I would have to have 1.5. And I think that if I had the, 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 the strength and the internal conviction to just stop at like three quarters of a sandwich of a pambaso, I'd, be, I'd say that would be number one. But it, I just can't. I, I can't stop eating a pambaso sandwich. Um, I would say on the high-end spectrum, of food. Three contenders. One would be the mole at Cosme, which much like the sphere is one of the few dishes I've ever had that lives up to the hype. It is one of the most hyped up dishes of all time. It is, you know, talked about. It is the signature dish at Cosme in Mexico city. Not yeah, Is it Cosme? No, it's not Cosme. Um, oh my God. It's not it is a uh, Pujol. Oh my God. Cosme is their American restaurant in New York. But 
Pujols two different moles. I it's one of the best dishes ever made from a restaurant's perspective because it is emblematic and uh, of Mexican culture. I can't think of another dish that is more emblematic of of Mexican food and the rich history of it. A merger of old and new, spicy and sweet. You dip it with tortillas. It's also stunningly simple. It almost looks like a Rothko painting to some degree or or one of those other modern artists where it's just like a dot within a dot. And it's 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 sensual. You eat it with your hands and it's it's everything that I love about a dish and I didn't want to hate it, but I I was really surprised that it's a kind of dish that haunts you and it's the kind of dish that every chef wishes they had, but you can't. Because, you know, it's it's such a rare thing to be able to have a dish like that and to do it every day with with gusto. And and the more you make it, the better that dish gets, both in story and in flavor. So I would say on the highest end of couture dining, I would put that dish as something that, again, I told people on this podcast, I lied all the time about eating a pujol. Because it's just one of those restaurants where you have to say you've eaten that. And it was, it was really good. The other one was we were, we were filming at Providence for uh, Dine Out with Chrissy Teigen. They made uh, one of the chefs, I think the chef's cuisine, she made a uh, macadamia foam milk with Ocetra caviar. And I think it was a nod to a lot of different things. To Thomas Keller's Oysters and Pearls, which I would put in the top 10 greatest dishes of all time. It was Simply one of the most delicious things I've ever had because I was not expecting the macadamia flavor to actually pair quite well with this the saltiness of the caviar. And I, I'll, I'll throw one more dish or two more things uh, on the higher end. It's something we did recently at the Bellagio at the Fountain Club when we were making food for the F1 race. And I was putzing around, fucking around because we had, uh, I don't know. I mean, God, we had so much caviar. So Chef Jude of Major Domo did these 48 hour short ribs, Wagyu short ribs, um, and we're slicing them and they were being served with um, like a Bernays sauce and a slice of raw baby turnip. Delicious. When I saw that, I said, oh, I've done this pairing before, but it worked much better this way because of the size of the short rib slice. You can make it so it, it almost looked like a keem, like a, like a seaweed size uh, wrapper. So I, I was using these thin slices of Wagyu short rib as almost like little tacos for those citric caviar. And I think even without the marinade, it would be delicious because we marinated in basically my mom's kalbi uh, sauce. But uh, the perverseness of this dish is clear. But it actually pairs better than jamon, which is something that has been popularized. And it's delicious. You might see Jose Andres make this all the time. It's great. You slice jamon and you basically make that as a cup and you put caviar in. It's tremendous. This is better. This is better. For the sole reason, the fattiness of the Wagyu actually pairs quite well with the the brininess, salinity of the caviar. And I don't know why, but it works really well. And I think it works better than doing a slice of Wagyu and with caviar on top, like a, a version of surf and turf. Um, and I think it works better simply because of the surface area of the, the short rib itself, right? Um, anyway, I'm now giving you a breakdown of how, if I was thinking about a dish and all the different permutations of it, uh, and I'm like thinking to myself, well, you know what? Like if you slice it the other way, like you might get it at a Japanese yakiniku spot. That also might be a nice vehicle for a caviar course. So I'm going to hold that one in my head. So those are my best bites. For sure. For sure. Some of my best bites. uh, I I will tell you the one that I would, I would eat every day. And the one dish that I've tried to make, I haven't tried to make any of those other dishes. um, I mentioned, but the one dish I've tried to make multiple times is the, the, the chicken soup the, from Luis uh, Gaina y Caldo um, in Mexico City. 
they serve other things and everything they make is delicious, but they are known for their, their, their chicken soup. And I got to say one of the best things I've ever tasted. And I've, I've tried to make that at least a dozen times since, uh, and that was pretty much last year, last summer. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll make that soup and, uh, Maybe we'll try to find somebody from that restaurant to see if we're even close to making it because I think it's I just want to pay homage to that restaurant. It's the kind of restaurant, if it was near me, I'd be eating there four times a week, four or five times a week. It's so good. It's so pure. I love it. So those are my, my, my favorite bites. What do we got next? All right, Dave. So transitioning from bites to restaurants, your favorite restaurant that you ate at this year. The nominees are In Paradise, Taipei City, Taiwan, Galatoire's, New Orleans, Louisiana, Old Ebbet Grill, Washington, D.C., Yes Restaurant in Los Angeles, California, Delicious Table in Buena Park, California, or somewhere else. I think you can put a lot of restaurants. I already mentioned some of them. Pujol, uh, Conchamar in Mexico City. I've been in New York a lot this past 12 months, but I never ate at a restaurant. I never ate at a restaurant. I think it has more to do with being in New York and not living there and everything that's happened. Uh, I, I don't know. And I, I, they're also extremely short trips. I'm there for like a night. So I still haven't gone to Tatiana. I still haven't gone to Teresi. I still haven't gone to Stretch Pizza by Wiley Dufresne. I still haven't checked out Gabe Stuhlman and April Bloomfeld's new restaurant. By the way, Helen Rosner is just ripping shit up as the New York New Yorker um, restaurant critic. I should sign up for a newsletter. She's really fucking good at her job. So uh, you should check it out. I ate mostly pizza when I was there. Mostly pizza. Actually, all my meals in New York City have been pizza. And a rotisserie chicken that I ate on Thanksgiving Day. Because <laughs> I miss Thanksgiving. You know, look at me like, what the fuck? That's the only thing I could do. So most of my meals have been in LA. And in LA, I will say, you know, Providence. I had an extraordinary meal. Again, the fact that it doesn't have three Michelin stars. What the fuck are you doing, Michelin guy? It's so goddamn stupid. It's also been refurbished. It has some of the best ambiance out there. So please, for, for, for the love of God, reward Michael Chiramusti with three fucking Michelin stars. That team deserves it. So Providence, I think I had a great meal at Kato. Where else? Where else? Where else? Where else? I had a great uh, Lebanese meal in Abu Dhabi. And I had a really good meal at Trishnas in, in London. But I still don't go out to restaurants that much. But I'll say my favorite restaurant of the year is a restaurant that I've recently been to. And that's Yes with three S's in, in downtown Los Angeles. Two S's. The chef there used to be the chef at Koya. When, when he was at Koya, and that's a period when I was going to um, London quite a bit. Phenomenal. And he moved back to Japan, I think traveled and worked throughout Asia. And he had a pop-up in New York, I know, a pop-up, uh, like a food truck type of thing, I think, in Los Angeles. But he opened up, yes, a few months ago. And... It's a beautiful space. I don't know if people understand difficulty of how they cook their food. He's cooking. You walk into the restaurant, you're going to see this large, strange, foreign-looking cooking contraption. And that is a Korean stove. And it cooks with a lot of steam. But you also have to feed it with wood. And it's hard to describe, but it's not like a French flat top. I think that I would imagine cooking on that, that, that apparatus would be the equivalent of learning how to play piano and then being put in front of a, a um, an organ and be like, what the fuck, what the fuck is this? I have no idea how to do any of this stuff. I have an idea, but I don't know how to play it well. And I think that's a beautiful thing. They also have a lot of bincho tan. So all the food they cook with in the restaurant is done over uh, like live, live fire. Not so dissimilar than fire door in Australia, in Sydney, Australia, um, which is really a, a very similar, not very similar. The, 
the chef there came from Echebari in in uh, in Spain, and we featured him in the the last season of Ugly Delicious. I had one of the probably the best steak I've ever had at his restaurant. Listen, like they are doing things that need to be supported. So it's my favorite restaurant of the year. And it, these are the restaurants that need all of our support. So if you're planning a trip in Los Angeles, please eat there. If you are visiting from, uh, if you're like visiting from the West side of Los Angeles, <laughs> you know, you should eat there. It, it's great. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to plan another meal there as soon as possible. And I think shout out to uh, the team at Major Doma. I think one of the best things I've ever had this year was this tuna avocado like Carpaccio at Major Domo. I've had it two times. It's, it's tremendously good. So a lot of good eating, but um, I think this upcoming year, 2024, we'll have more restaurants, more travel, um, and I will be excited to eat all of that. So favorite restaurant that I ate at? Definitely uh, in Paradise. I don't need the people in, in Taiwan to say, oh, that's not at the best buffet restaurant. I think, again, what's important to me is that there this style of restaurant that I've always loved. I've always wanted to explore. I've wanted to do over and over and over again. Then it does work. And it can be financially not just viable, but very successful because the guy that owns the the the, the there's a handful of these restaurants absolutely crushes it. And yes, I'm sure there might be a restaurant that does buffet style that does it better, but for me, I was blown away that you could get Peking duck, you could get all varieties of Japanese food, Korean food, you had different kinds of cold stuff, sushi, and all of it was done above average to well executed, right? Um, you had all of the traditional things you would have a carving station and then some. Um, but they're making pancakes for Peking duck to order. I mean, it's pretty wild. And it was very, very good. Felt futuristic. What I loved about it is that you had a very high-end dining experience with something that, that juxtaposition of high and low. I love that. that I'm a, it's catnip for me. And it was very inspiring. That's all I'll say. So th- those are probably my, my, my two, two things. Two restaurants that I ate at. And yeah, give Providence three mission stars. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. What, what, what else we got? All right. So your favorite city you visited this year. So just in this year. So Abu Dhabi in UAE, New Orleans, New York, Las Vegas, Washington, D.C., and Mexico City are the nominees. I mean, I know you asked for one. So I'm going to give you two for international. Clearly, it's Mexico City. I can't wait to go back. I I know we talked about it a few months ago on the podcast. I'm always looking for a city that rivals Tokyo or Japan in general. And I mean, it was probably like four or five years ago when I started to make some connections in terms of Japanese food culture and Mexican food culture, where I don't think a lot of people would see overlap. I see quite a bit. It just, the final product looks and tastes very different. But where it is very similar is you have Japan, 
that has, if you watch Star Trek, they're like the Borg. They take from everywhere and then they internalize it and they regurgitate it and it's transformed oftentimes into something completely new and better, arguably, than where it, it, they took it from. Mexico does it in a, in a, I feel, in a way that's not as harsh as how Japan approached it. it it's much more open. It's much more, instead of Japan taking, I feel like the food of Mexico has been about a gentle merger of cuisines. There's a, 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 a lot of Chinese food, Japanese food, Korean food, clearly uh, Lebanese food and the food from Istanbul because of what you have as a, as a, as a trompo is basically technology that came from, you know, Turkey. They take and they turn it into something else. I think, mean, you know, even salsa matcha, you know, has like Chinese origins from what I've been told. And I feel like Mexico city and I am not the expert. If you want the expert, you should talk to the team at LA taco, right? <laughs> they, they know their shit better than fucking anybody. And you should always just check out their site and support them because they're goddamn amazing. They're doing real, real shit, real work that needs to be done. I am not, you can't know all the cuisines of the world. And one cuisine that I know almost nothing about is the food of Mexico. But now being in Los Angeles, I am eating a lot more of it and exposed to a lot more of it. But I've had a, a, a basic understanding of it to some degree. Mexico City is, it's just concentrated. It's all there. It's the cosmopolitan, you know, it's everything's there. And where it is also similar to Tokyo is it's almost impossible to find a bad meal in Tokyo. They exist. I worked at one of those restaurants and they suck. You can almost blindly walk into a restaurant in Japan and know that you're going to get a great meal. I've only been to Mexico City once and I was only there four days, but I feel pretty confidently that if I walk into any restaurant in Mexico City and I applied the major domo philosophy of eating at the restaurant next door to the restaurant, I think you're going to be well rewarded. So, I would pick Mexico City as there's very few cities that I want to go to and they're designed only around eating because culturally there's nothing else to do except eat. Yes, there's things you can do culturally in Japan, but I'm there to eat. When I go to San Sebastian, I'm there to eat. Mexico City, I'm there to eat as well. So in my book, it is definitely in the top three cities for sure. Now, domestically, I can't speak more highly of New Orleans. I love that town. It is one of my favorite places. It's about eating. It's about music. I love it. I've spent a lot of time there. I really have over the years. And I had not been back in like four years. Getting to taste food that has history, getting to taste that just town, everything revolves around food and music. And it's an event and it's great. And we went to Dizzy's when we were with Andrew Whitworth and had some of the best beans and rice I've ever had. The Galatoire's experience was transcendent because it was closed. They opened it just for me and Whitworth. Listen, you don't need me to tell you why New Orleans is good. I don't understand why people don't like New Orleans. I just think they haven't spent enough time there. Yes, there's tourist traps. There's tourist traps everywhere. Cafe Du Monde is also one of those things that are, it's actually like, a good tourist trap. It's fucking good. There's all those restaurants on the French Quarter are really good. I, I really do enjoy that city. So uh, I would say domestically in the lower 48, New Orleans is my favorite food city in America. All right. Um, kitchen best friend. So what was your most essential piece of kitchen equipment this year? I think it's been the front runner for the past three years. And besides the any day, right? Trying to be objective here. Because it is the any day that is used. That is the workhorse of workhorses, especially since I'm, I just batch cook stuff. So if I make a big batch of soup, I always put some in a smaller any day container, put it in the freezer. So, you know, food's not going to waste. And now that I'm not home cooking every meal, it's, it's always available. But if it's not that, it's definitely the magic bullet. If you've been watching the, the YouTube series, the YouTube stuff that we post, You'll see both Chris and myself use the magic bullet all the time. 
I wish that they would build a professional version because the current version is sort of I, I'm not janky. It's just you have to be mindful that it's not a professional grade tool. It has been, I use it every day for a variety of things from chopping things up to smoothies for my kids to making crepe batter. I mean, I would love an industrial version of a magic bullet. It's so, so good. So I never thought I'd say that, but there's a lot of products out there that, you know, if you tweak things here or there, I think it would be in a lot of professional kitchens. No questions asked. Okay. What else we got? All right. So your biggest lesson as a leader this year, the biggest lesson I, I, uh, I learned as a leader this year is you can spend a lot of time improving yourself, but you may not realize it just because you're talking about it. You're doing the things to get better. You can still regress in certain areas. And I think one of the things that I've definitely gotten worse at is patience and, and trusting that the people I work with are going to do their job. And I get super paranoid about things, highly neurotic individual. And I think that uh, I can be an extremely, not just impatient person, but me wanting, me wanting to execute something well oftentimes prevents people doing their job well. And I think it all stems from me being so impatient and wanting to move things qu- more quickly. I have spent a lot of time trying to get better at that. And I feel this year I, I've gotten worse. So the biggest lesson I learned is no matter what you've improved at in your life as a leader, as you've become more self-aware to got, get better, you can, without realizing it, step backwards in that improvement. So that would be the lesson as a leader this year. All right. And how about your biggest lesson as a father this year? That two kids is really as hard as they say it is. It really is really hard. And I would imagine three kids is so much harder than two kids. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. And, and I wouldn't change any of it. Um, and the other lesson I would say in a more practical way is your kids are much smarter than you give them credit for. And my sons are always shocking me that they know what's going on so much more than I even want to admit. Like they know what's going on. They're very aware of it. At least my sons are. And I think for me, it's not being condescending to them because of their age or their ability to abstract information. I feel like for me, I'm, I treat them and I talk to them like adults already, but I feel like I'm, I have to treat them like, like equals to some degree. Like I'm talking to a normal adult, if that makes any sense. So for me, the biggest lesson is they grow up fast and they're much smarter and more worldly and more aware than I thought they were going to be at their age. Yeah. I just feel dumb. (laughs) They're just really smart. Restaurant industry MVP. Who's your restaurant industry MVP this year? Travis Scott. <laughs> Tra- Travis, Travis had a rough year, actually. So. Did, did he? Yeah. He had a really But did, wasn't he selling that McDonald's that was like stuff? A, that was years ago. Yeah. That was, like, that was yeah, too yeah. long ago? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think the person that's had a remarkable year and I think has set, this, set the stage for excellence and has continued to do so is our good friend, Corey Lee. And I think it's remarkable that he's able to execute and still innovate at the highest level possible. And his San Juan is just ripping it up in San Francisco. Still the only chef I know that no one talks shit about. So if I had to vote for somebody that's done it without really raising any attention to himself, the reason I, I clearly there's so many MVPs, but for me, the MVP is Corey because he just puts his head down and he gets the shit done. And he's never asking for accolades or attention. So in terms of MVPs, that is open for debate. And I'm not trying to start a debate. I'm just telling you what's at the top of my head. All right. Well, stay at the top of your head for a little bit. Who is your personal travel MVP? So we all know it's Grace. But aside from Grace, someone who made your travel life a little bit more bearable this year. I would say the whole team at Major Domo. 
for sure. Um, yeah, that 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 all of them, everyone has been extremely helpful. So yeah, that's that's my answer. All right. Well, that's it for uh, you know your your end rewards. Anything else, Dave? That you want to kind of give a shout out for twenty twenty three? No, I think we I think we covered it. Good riddance, twenty twenty three. Let's keep it positive. See you later. <laughs> so we're going to do a year in review from more national sources, and we have Yelp's year in review. Not year end. Their prediction is this predictions for 2024. No, this is their prediction for 23. Like what they thought was going to happen. So what we have here is Yelp's top 10 when they did the prediction for 2023. So over the past 12 months, number one, they had oxtail. No, <laughs> nothing changed for oxtail. White people are still eating it only pulled and in a raviolo. You know, it's just true. People eat oxtail all the time, but they're usually eating it in a pasta. Non-alcoholic michelada, I don't know if that's true, but Bricia Lopez has a really great michelada mix, so I'll, I'll give them some credit. Lafayette's Grand Cafe Bakery, The Supreme, The Next Cronut, Ange Carmelini's Restaurant in Lafayette in New York City, and they had, I don't even know what it was, but I do know a lot of TikTokers, etc., would go to that restaurant to get The Supreme. I do not think whatever The Supreme was or is took off internationally like the cronut. Nothing will ever be like the cronut. Fast food nostalgia, number four, no. I think nostalgia, comfort food nostalgia, yes, but not fast food nostalgia. Destination dining should be number one. If you have a, a an ambitious restaurant in the middle of nowhere and it's luxurious, you fucking crushed in 2023 and 2024. And I would say for the next decade plus, you're going to crush. Number six, I don't even know what uh, Yelp is suggesting here. Yapun Holly, Yapun Holly, an evergreen tree extract for caffeine. I haven't heard of it. Um, have you heard of that? I have, and I just haven't seen it. So I'm, I'm calling Yelp strike out here. Dinner theater. I would say yes, but I would also tie that in with nostalgia and just sort of where we're going. Actually, last night, Chris Ying and I tried to go to a super freako at the Cosmopolitan. It seems like it's a burlesque show with sort of Italian-American food. And we didn't have reservations. We walked in and we sat at the bar and we waited probably about 15 minutes and we could not get anyone's attention. So we left. We left and we went to Scarpetta instead and had a great meal up there. But I think uh, we were at Mayfield earlier at the Bellagio uh, this year. And that is musical acts and food. So dinner and a theater, I would put in the top five for 2023. So Yelp did get that right. Dirty sodas. No. And 10 pickle flavored things. Maybe. I don't know. Didn't really take. Uh, there was a hojicha in here. Did you see hojicha? Oh, hojicha. No. When I see it on menus, no, I don't think it really took off. I don't think it really took off. But I would say the, the top dining trends in review for me, destination dining, number one, experiential dining, number two. And I, I, I use that as the moniker more for uh, dinner theater. Three, I would say comfort food. Four, I would say the return of service-oriented decor-heavy restaurants where it's about the ambiance and the vibe, less about the food. And I would probably say the last one for top five, more the, 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 the true nature of Celebrity Chef is finally revealed itself. The name was just uh, maybe incorrect for actual chefs, but for celebrities that are now getting into, you know, domestic things and co- cooking in general, I would say that they are now chefs. To the world and they are celebrities so celebrity chef was and is the accurate is an accurate title and you're going to see more and more of that i think last year dave dobrik opened up dough in los angeles i think you're going to see more tiktokers upstage the traditional status quo i think it's inevitable and i think that the traditional food sort of gatekeepers are in a lot of fucking trouble because this is what the young young people want that's for sure that's it on that bright note dave <laughs>
I got some predictions. 2024 is going to be about lunch. I think that, you know, somebody just asked me about recommendation from Mexico City. And I said, what's interesting about Mexico City is, again, I don't want to say this blanket statement, but it seems like lunch is the meal of, of choice. I love lunch. I love having a big meal during the day because you can digest it throughout the day. You know what I mean? Like at night, you might get home from a tasting menu at like two in the morning. It's, it's like crazy. I, I really do think that you're going to see a growth in lunch offerings from, and, and I think diners are going to want a lunch experience. It's going to become the thing, not brunch, lunch. I think you're also going to see buffets. I think you're going to see buffets. You're going to see more large format meals. You're going to see more restaurants that are French oriented. You're going to see more. So there's been, a, a, I would also put it back in 2020, 2023, French food which is crazy to me. So many French restaurants in New York. So when you have a resurgence or a rediscovery of a type of cuisine, what happens after that is it gets funneled into more smaller esoteric niche type restaurants. So I think what you might see as a prediction, you will see more regional restaurants that are of French cuisine. So like the food of Provence, the food of Lyon, France, things that are more regional. I could see that happening. I have another prediction, a dish that I made fun of a lot. And I, I do that in jest and in lightheartedness, but I think you are going to see more paella. 2024 is going to be the year of paella because it, it, it's gluten-free. Number one, number two, it's a large format. Number three, you can customize in a variety of ways if you want. And I'm not going to say it's going to be a Spanish restaurant serving paella. You're going to see, and I wouldn't just limit it to paella in general. Uh, and we have a lot of it in Majordomo. Rice dishes as a whole that are crispy, that are served as a large format will be very much on trend in 2024. And you will see a lot of restaurants serving things that are like paella, not called paella. The one thing you will not see. And 2024 is a rise of risotto, for sure. Not happening. And I think that that's it. Thank you for not speaking risotto into existence. All right, guys. It's always difficult doing these solo pods, even though Eunice here helping me out. So I can just assure you that there is significant change coming to this podcast. The whole structure of it is going to change in 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 good ways, in ways that are needed. And you may be listening, being like, hey, you know, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. We are trying very hard to, to move it into a new direction that is going to be most number, mostly number one, that is useful for people and two, very fun and entertaining. And we're close to that. How close? I don't know. But I hope that that transformation will happen in 2024. And just wanted to say thank you to all the listeners. And we are going to be dedicating a lot more time to 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 making that transformation happen. So uh, appreciate it. And the one thing that we have always made a constant here is is change. Sometimes we're slow to that fucking change, but we're going to make it happen. So thank you, guys. Happy holidays. And I'll talk to you next week.